This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Well, welcome everyone to Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show. I am Matthew Rushing, and I am very glad to be back after our hiatus last week as I was moving locations of the Trek FM's Northwest Studio location. Uh, We are finally set back up here, and I've got to say, it looks fantastic. I'm really glad to be here, and I'm Really glad to be back with Dan Gunther to talk about some books and some comics this week. Hi, Matthew. Good to be here as usual. And yeah, I got to say, your setup looks really good. Looks like you have a nice kind of office area there. Times like this, you really wish the transporter was really a thing, don't you? That or I wasn't a muggle. Because <laughs> I've just got to say, um, yeah, packing everything up, putting it into <laughs> a truck, and then bringing it down here and then unpacking it all again. Um, luckily, of course, this move wasn't as big as the one I did last year, where it was across country oh, and yeah. across a bunch of states and took three days yeah. to get there. So, yeah, this is much different and much better. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We had two new comics drop as of the recording of this show. And uh, Dan and I are, are going to cover one of them because we have a great interview coming up with Peter David and we don't want to spend a crazy amount of time talking about all the comics. So we're going to do the Star Trek Green Lantern number three next week. So make sure you pick that up and get a chance um, to read that because we're going to be talking through that. And um, this week, though, we also had New Visions number eight drop, Dan. And one of the things about this, too, I mean, just talking about comics in general, these are always a lot longer anyway. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is like a double issue, basically. So... Uh, there's some interesting characters back, some interesting continuity within New Visions itself here. What did you end up thinking? Yeah, that was a really pleasant surprise. I I really like the continuity between this and the earlier issues. Uh, You know, I I think I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This is my favorite issue of this so far. I really enjoyed this story. I thought it held together very well. Uh, not a lot of really outlandish locations. So I thought the Mm, artwork really lent itself to that. There wasn't, you know, nothing really crazy that John Byrne had to do here to represent, you know, his vision for this comic. So it, it came across looking really good. I really enjoyed the story. I honestly wasn't sure where it was going to go. Uh, and yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about this issue. When you have an entire issue that has 16 Andreas running around, (laughs) 
how can it be a bad issue? Because well, the actress that. that was playing her, you know, was was just gorgeous, and the way that uh, John was able to replicate her, so that um, they all kind of had just a slightly different, you know, feel to them. It was really well done. I mean, yeah, um, and it does help that the story he's telling, he's able to use some almost unmanipulated screenshots from that episode Mm -hmm. and i think that really helped as well so yeah like you said um we really cut down on the outlandish places we visit and locations and um in fact it's really only at the very end of the comic where there's some pretty crazy looking cgi'd you know photoshopped Mm -hmm. made looks of of places but yeah um Hmm. Can I say that this is my favorite? I, I, it's right up there. I can't think of any other one that has really this much going for it. And, and I think what really puts it over the top for me is the fact that this is actually paying attention to its own continuity here mm-hmm. with, um, you know, the new Vision series, which that's, that's just so much fun because obviously we didn't get tons of that in TOS. And here we're not only being given that, but I mean, Harry Mudd shows up again, and he apparently, the Enterprise are his parole officers, where he has to check in with them every few months, just so they know what's going on with him. Yeah, it almost seems that way. Um, I I really love the subtlety of kind of using just the slightly pudgier William Shatner's Kirk's face for Mary Mudd. And, uh, you know, Kirk, of course, actually commenting on it, you know, Harry, I don't keep this body by doing nothing, you know, try a green salad every once in a while. I run on the wall a lot. So (laughs) that thing powers the ship, man. I mean, you know, exactly. I think the warp core is the the big deal, but no, it's actually Kirk, you know, kicking that thing on sickbay's wall that that really powers the ship. Yeah. In the judo shop. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I really love that. Like I said, the the surprise continuity of having mud with Kirk's face and, you know, John Byrne really having a lot of fun with that, I thought really made this issue for me. Well, in the locations we visited, I mean, we visit Wrigley's Pleasure Planet again, which is a lot of fun because they're on vacation and that's where they run into the Andrea character and... Um, Kirk realizes immediately, you know, uh, that she's not supposed to be there. Um, and they do a good job of remembering that, you know, McCoy wasn't on the ship at that point. So um, all of it, I think, just works so well together to really give us a coherent story that's a lot of fun, fits so perfectly within TOS. And there's the great line at the end about um, Spock telling the doctor, I-, I wish you wouldn't revel so much in the fact w- that I'm wrong periodically (laughs) and i just uh classic banter between them i mean this is a near perfect issue um Mm. you know it's only when you have the really outlandish photoshop sets that i'm still like "Eh." Mm -hmm. but i this was such a good story that I don't really care, and it's it, it's not in there enough for me to really care about. So I'm with you. I'm highly recommending issue number eight. I, I think it's well worth your time, and um, it's it's one of the strongest, if not, like you said, the strongest issues that we've had so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I found those you know brief bits of crazy CGI 
Like they weren't enough to bring me out of the story like in previous issues. So I, I thought that really served it well. Well, before we do kind of jump into um, the interview that we're going to have with Peter David, I also want to remind people that the autobiography of James C. Kirk by David A. Goodman did come out. So I got a chance to look at it a little bit when I was in a Barnes & Noble this weekend, and I like it. It's the first hardcover Star Trek book that we've had in a long time, and there's some great artwork inside of it that is reminiscent of the work that they did for Federation First 150 Years. So um, it's not a book like that. It's not that big. It's, it's more like a normal hardcover size. But I'm actually excited to pick this one up. I, I, I need to get that. And um, I just wanted to encourage everybody um, to go ahead and, and pick that up because we'll definitely talk about it sometime on the show for sure. And uh, it looks like, I mean, when you talk about kind of trying to write a coherent story of Kirk's life, that's really interesting. I'm just kind of wondering exactly how David is going to approach this. I think that's one of the most interesting things about this in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's really good to hear. I haven't taken a look at it myself yet, but I do have a copy coming uh, in the mail, hopefully very soon. So yeah, I'm really excited to uh, crack into that one and, and really take a look at it and see what uh, what David Goodman's come up with here. Well, before we do head into our fantastic interview uh, that I'm really excited to get to, just want to remind everybody that Literary Treks is part of Trek FM, which is a network of 20 different podcasts, all devoted to everything about Star Trek, from all the series to also, to also of course, creatives behind the series, to different views on the series, to... Everything that you could probably think about, fan series, behind the scenes of fan series, I mean, we've got it all covered. And then, of course, we have the 602 Club where we talk about everything that's not Star Trek, that's coming up in the geeky world, that is new, that's old, trying to introduce ourselves to new things. Um, so if you'd like to check all that out, I would encourage you to go over to iTunes.com slash trek fm you can find all the shows that we do and of course you we also have our own website at trek.fm it's a great place as well to visit you can see all the show pages that we have all the notes that we have on the shows especially with literary treks we also sometimes have um, hot links that you can use to get to the things that we talk about in the news section so it's a great place to visit there at trek.fm and of course we're also on twitter at Trek FM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM, which is a good place to go. And then, of course, Dan, we have something that I really think is special for people who listen to the network, and that's the Babel Conference. Yeah, the Babel Conference is a really great uh, group on Facebook. Uh, it's a secret group, so you'll have to uh, go there and, and, and ask to join. Uh, but, you know, we're they're pretty good about letting you in right away. If, uh, you know, you're a listener of the show, it's a great place to kind of talk to the people that are, you know, really working hard behind the scenes to put these shows together. And, uh, you know, it's really great place to just share anything to do with Star Trek. And of course, with the 602 Club, anywhere to share, it's a great place to share just general geekery. And the conversations that we have with, you know, people behind the mics and then all the listeners in general it's just a fantastic place to be so we definitely hope you'll join us there just type babel into the search field in facebook or you can go to the website at trek.fm and hit discussion on the menu bar and that would bring you to the babel conference as well so 
All right, Dan, I am ready to just jump into that interview with Peter David. So what do you say we hit it? Very excited. One of my uh, childhood heroes as far as writers go. So I'm really excited to talk to uh, Peter David. Well, Dan, it's not every day that we get to have an author on that we haven't had before. But uh, with Peter David's New Frontier series being back in prominence here in Trek Books with three consecutive months of having an ebook release. I'm really excited to welcome for the first time to Literary Treks Peter David himself. Wow. Okay. <laughs> How's it going, Peter? I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Awesome, well, we're man. really happy to, happy to have you here. Kind of, uh, you know, one of the really long lasting. Um, kind of really familiar faces of Treklet over the last uh, many years. Uh, I've mm -hmm. grown up reading your novels. I think Q Squared was probably one of the first Star Trek novels I read and absolutely loved ah. it and uh, loved your work ever since. Thank you. Well, Peter, you know, you have worked for some of the, the biggest places out there. I mean, when we talk about comics, you've worked for Marvel and DC. You've worked for Dark Horse. Um, you know, you've written novels. And so I just kind of wanted to ask you before we even jumped into anything else. Okay. With your career, what have been some of the best experiences that you've had in getting to work in these different universes that you've got to play in? Some of the best experiences? Well, um, working on the Star Trek series, you know, I mean, I, I really played in three major universes. Star Trek, I've been writing Star Trek novels for, God, decades now. Uh, the Marvel Universe, and where I am currently playing when it comes to comic books. And the DC Universe, where I had some success with Supergirl and Young Justice. Mm -hmm. um, there have been pleasant experiences in all of these endeavors. There have been some not so pleasant experiences, but, you know, that just kind of comes with the territory. And I've just done my best to tell the most compelling and entertaining stories that I've been able to tell. And judging from the fan reaction so far, I seem to be getting it done. Yeah, I, I think that that's very true. Um, do you have, can you nail down at all, you think, maybe a favorite character that you have been able to work on? from, you know, Marvel, DC, or, or even Star Trek? Oh, Lord, no. I mean, I've worked on so many <laughs> characters. Like, you know, which of your children do you like to play? Well, you know, I mean, do yeah. I have some that I've enjoyed thoroughly? Yes, I wrote The Incredible Hulk for 12 years, so he's kind of permanently lodged in my cerebrum. Um, I love writing Janie Madrox. I love writing Supergirl who eventually morphed into the Fallen Angel, which became an original character that I created that was first published by DC and then by IDW. Um, but, yeah, and of course, there's Spider-Man 2099, who I am currently writing, who seems to have somehow remained popular for the last quarter of a century, believe it or not. So, you know, but picking one, that's, that's really not possible. I mean... <laughs> you know, I've, I've just been doing this for too long and have, have uh, I mean, I've written at some point or another pretty much every major comic book character um, in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, not not their own books, but they've been guest stars and and that kind of thing. So really, I can't think of anyone that I have not written. 
who's, who's a, any kind of a major player. I mean, it's been tremendously entertaining. Oh, man, no kidding. That's What a prolific career to have to get to say, you know, if, if it's a comic book character out there, um, I've probably gotten to play with them a little bit before. That's mm-hmm. really incredible. I would love to kind of hear, too, as we're diving into to New Frontier, about okay. uh, how the ideas for New Frontier came about, um, you know, where the idea for oh, this sure. kind of started. and The idea for New Frontier actually began with an editor named John Ordover. At the time, uh, Pocket Books was only publishing books that tied in with ongoing Star Trek series. And John came up with the notion of doing a book series that would be a wholly original ship. And we would use several of the existing characters from Star Trek Next Generation, but that it would really be about an original ship and original characters. And he went to Paramount and asked their permission for this, and Paramount essentially said, well, okay, you can do it if you want, but it's not going to succeed because the readers are not going to be remotely interested in the adventures of of characters who were never on the television series. So, you know, they were sure wrong about that. And John's John's concept for New Frontier was largely shaped by the dissolution at the time of the USSR. And what was happening was that as the USSR broke up, various countries which had remained at a tentative peace all that time suddenly were starting to go to war with each other. You know, I mean, everything was just coming apart. And he thought it would be interesting if we created something called Thelonian Space um, and had it be that they, that their, you know, that, that their union, as it were, started to dissolve and break down into various planets which had been forced to remain peaceful all this time. But now we're starting to go to war with each other. And he thought it would be interesting to have a starship sent into this kind of, you know, insane situation to do what they could to keep the peace. You know, and and it would be very evocative of original Star Trek in that they would be in this new frontier, as it were, and be dispatched there to try and manage to keep everything together. And John decided that I would be the right person to develop the series. So he came to me and described his premise. He told me the characters we want to have in it that we were lifting from Next Generation. We were going to use Shelby and we were going to use Solar. And um, and we we're going to use Robin Lefter, Leffler. And would I be interested in writing this? And I said, sure. So at that point, I started developing the characters and that's where Calhoun came from and Burgoyne and pretty much the entire population of the USS Excalibur, um, which was a, uh, uh, John Ordover, I'm pretty sure, came up with the ship name. And I developed the series from that point on. I created all the characters and uh, the situations they uh, encountered. Well, writing New Frontier, you really kind of, you know, have had a unique opportunity that not a lot of Star Trek writers and, and really no Star Trek writer before that point had had to kind of create this cast of original characters. Uh, What was that process like coming up with the original characters of New Frontier? Well, first off, when I was sitting there thinking about who I should, you know, 
come up with, I suddenly came to the realization that I all had I had already created several characters that I could make use of because I had written a a three books in a Star Trek series set in Starfleet Academy that was the Academy Days of Worf. And I thought, well, there are characters there I can use. So I wound up using several of the characters in those uh, uh, Star Trek Klingon young adult books uh, to populate the crew of the Enterprise. So those books essentially became, went from being a three-part YA series to the unofficial prequels to the New Frontier. The rest of the characters I created, um, Calhoun was to all intents and purposes Braveheart. Mm. Where, where, you know, he was a warlord when he was a young man and, you know, all that kind of thing. So I really did base Calhoun on on uh, William Wallace as portrayed oh, wow. in the films by an incredibly much too old, you know, Mel Gibson. <laughs> um, I don't care how much they called him young Wallace. Wallace was actually 17 or 18 at the time, and Gibson was in his 40s. So, you know, no. <laughs> um, uh, shall, you know, I use Shelby. Uh, Burgoyne came from the concept of, of let's, Let's have a character who's who's not exactly gay, but is instead asexual. So you know why not have a character who is both male and female, a hermaphrodite character? They hadn't really done that in New Frontier, and I thought, why the hell not? So let's do that. And uh, you know all the other characters just developed from you know what what they were needed to do in the book, and how I could make them as entertaining as possible for the fans. And for the series. Excellent. Well, one of the things that, you know, this kind of very varied cast of characters and, you know, the kind of uh, crazy situations that come up in New Frontier, these have really served to kind of set it apart from the rest of the Star Trek universe. And, you know, kind of... Mm -hmm being generally a little bit outside the norm and a little bit more of a fantastical slant to the stories. Um, I'm thinking of like the great bird of the galaxy being hatched from the Thelonian homeworld. Uh, you know, and yeah, then, I was very pleased about that. I, I loved that. That was a really yeah. fun, interesting thing. And then even going to like, you know, Quancy's transformation at the end of uh, the returned here. Um, yeah. And I was wondering, like, how much does your experience in writing comics and that sort of thing influence the tone of New Frontier? Oh, I don't know. I think it's more my experience with original Star Trek. I mean, you know, they had some extremely fantastical elements in that, whether they were fighting, you know, gods or mm. witches or, you know, what have you. They had some really kind of they had some stuff on original Trek that was really out there. So that has just, to my mind, been part and parcel of the Star Trek universe since the very beginning. Right, just kind of maybe bringing that forward into the little bit stiffer colored next generation era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Excellent. Um, did you find kind of your process of writing New Frontier was different at all from the process of writing, you know, your other Star Trek novels? No, writing is writing. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the the one nice thing, though, is that the difference between New Frontier and Next Generation, or original Trek for that matter, is that I can do whatever the hell I want. I can have characters <laughs> get married. I can have them get pregnant. I can have them die. Mm -hmm. I've killed all several cast members in the course of New Frontier. 
Um, I couldn't kill off Picard if I thought it would make a really good story. Well, I could, but I have to make sure he's back by the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I really feel like your stories in New Frontier have really kind of become the precedent for, you know, the kind of later continuity of Star Trek getting a little bit further from the source material. I almost feel like if you hadn't been able to do that and shown that, you know, how well it could work, that we probably wouldn't have the uh, the Star Trek wider continuity in the books that we have today. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you have to talk to other people about that. I'm just concentrating on writing the best stories that I can. If other people have been influenced by it, they would be the ones to talk to you about that, not me. For you, I was wondering, Peter, because the last time that you had had um, a New Frontier book out had been in 2011 with Blind Man's Bluff. Right. And so as you were thinking about where you wanted to go next, uh, talk about some of your inspirations for the idea of what became The Returned. <laughs> My inspiration was they said we wanted you to do three 50,000-word novellas. And I went, okay, and I proceeded to sit down and develop the stories just as I and we're always developing stories. I say, well, what would be interesting? What could we do that would be unexpected and different, but at the same time make sense in terms of what's gone before? I mean, there's no there's no great secret for me to be keeping from you or anything like that. It's just, you know, I'm doing the best job that I can to tell the most entertaining stories that I can. Beyond that, I don't really think about it. Well, I was wondering... Um kind of between Blind Man's Bluff and this story, like Calhoun kind of has a really uh, dark story arc. And um, yes. and I was just kind of wondering what, uh, if there was any kind of inspiration for that story or if, uh, you know, what well, kind of brought him to this The inspiration is that he firmly blames himself for the death of his entire race. That's going to mess with your head. I mean, Calhoun, to a certain degree, kind of lost his mind. I mean, it's taken him three months of complete solitude to make him even capable of talking to his wife. I mean, you know, he really had a, a, a very sizable mental breakdown. And when we pick it up three months later, it has taken him that long just to make it that he can actually interact with anybody in any sort of sane manner. And I think it speaks very gravely to the loyalty of the people around him. They are willing to wait for him to get it together. But it's interesting that they do have faith that eventually he will be able to pull himself together. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I that was one of the things that I noticed, you know, just diving into New Frontier with the Return series is just, you know, captains always have loyal crew members. Um, but I felt like, you know, this, this crew... Uh, on the Excalibur are so loyal to Calhoun in a way that I've never seen play out quite this way. And I I, th- I thought that was really something that you had captured that was really special. So thank I really you. liked that. Well, thank you very much. I mean, you know, the, the bottom line is that Calhoun has assembled a rather eclectic crew. You know, crew members that to some degree probably would not be able to function on a more normal starship. And he has managed to keep them together and keep them as family through thick and thin. And they are absolutely 110% loyal to Calhoun. And that loyalty has been severely tested in the intervening three months. Mm. 
That's one of the things, too, I wanted to ask you about writing just Calhoun as a character. And, and you mentioned him coming from William Wallace as inspiration. Um, but he is one of the most interesting captains that I've ever seen because he doesn't necessarily play by the same rule book almost that I've seen. Um, yeah. And I thought that was really, really um Nice to see that, you know, not all captains are kind of this straight-laced thing. Um, what were some of your intentions were, you know, throughout the years kind of writing Calhoun and where you've wanted to take him? Um, the whole trick with writing is quite simply to take to make the characters as interesting as you can and then put them in situations that you find compelling and see how they react. I mean, I don't always know exactly what Calhoun's going to do until I start writing. You know, but on the other hand, I kind of feel that that means I'm doing it correctly. You shouldn't know everything that the character is going to do because then he's being much too predictable. Um, I come up with stuff that I hope will be a challenge for him, and then we see how he reacts to it. And hopefully he will surprise you guys as well as me. Mm. Yeah, I'm really, I think <laughs> about like the scene, for example, where he's talking to uh, Soletta and, you know, I can't think of another Starfleet captain that we've ever seen that would talk frankly about, yeah, you know, I might have left Starfleet to become a privateer or, uh, you know, free boot for the Romulans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I thought there's a really interesting kind of aspect of his Thank character you. there. One of the things that I loved is that you got the opportunity to return Q um, to, to your writing. And, uh, I just yep. wanted to kind of pick your brain about how, you know, Q came to play into this story specifically with, um, deciding that he was going to be the awesome. Well, the bottom line was I came to the realization that I needed a God. And I thought to myself, well, why should I make myself nuts coming up with another God character? when we have a perfectly good God character currently running around the, uh, the Star Trek universe. Let's, let's bring in Q. Especially because he always, he already had a past history with Mark McHenry. Mm, yeah. So that really dovetailed perfectly. One of the aspects uh, of this story that I found really interesting was uh, the characters of the Diane species. Uh, you know, by the end, you know, they meet a fairly grisly fate. Uh, yeah. And, you know, as readers... You know, it, it, it's interesting that you were able to kind of create a race that really feels like they're truly not worth saving. So that when they all kind of die at the end like that, you're really mm-hmm. glad that they do. And especially as Star Trek fans, that's kind of a very interesting perspective to come to. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about creating a race that we'd be okay with having that kind of end, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I thought it would be interesting, you know, because my my attitude was, you know, I created the Demiurge, and the Demiurge were these, you know, complete bastards who killed every single member of Calhoun's race. And I thought it wouldn't be interesting to create a race even worse than them, so bad that you actually wind up feeling sorry for the Demiurge. And that that was really the, the purpose of the Diane, to make the Demiurge actually sympathetic in comparison. Now, whether I succeed or not, I leave to you guys to decide, but that was the purpose of it. You know, to have a, have a race that was so absolutely sure of themselves that if they wound up being completely annihilated, the the reaction of the fans would be 
thank God, because I really hated these <laughs> um, But, um, you know, but really the purpose was to try and make the Demiurge more sympathetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally think that worked because oh, I good. cannot remember a time, you know, maybe except for the original appearance of the Borg before yeah. they ever did anything else with them where you were like, okay, if we wipe these guys out, that's going to be okay with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, re I really thought it was interesting during that whole part how you were, you really drove home the point and it was repeated several times in the text that you know, the entire race, the entire race was dying in space there. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh, that's awful. And then I put myself in Calhoun's place and I, I honestly couldn't think of anything I would have done different uh, at that point. <laughs> so I thought that was incredibly well done to, to you know, make I the readers. Put, I hope you're going to put spoiler warning at the top of this interview because, you know, you just gave away the end of the story. <laughs> we definitely will absolutely yeah. we definitely will oh goodness well for you um you know you got the opportunity to to write the three e-novellas and was that always the plan for you to have it be three separate e-novellas well it was the plan and that simon and schuster approached me and said we'd like you to write three e-novellas so okay. yes awesome um do you uh, have any idea what might be next for the crew of the Excalibur and, and the New Frontier the universe? I have faintest idea. <laughs> it took me four years to come around to me and say, hey, do you want to do this? I'm hoping that we'll get to do more in slightly less time than that. But really, the people to ask at this point are pocketbooks. And for what it's mm. worth, I asked them that yesterday. And mm. the answer was, uh, my, my editor said that she had absolutely no idea if we were going to do more. That mm. I mean, they would, you know, she'd be perfectly happy to, but that's really up to uh, to hires up. So I guess we'll all find out together. So if we want more New Frontier, everybody needs to go out and make sure that they get copies of the three well, novellas. Absolutely, I mean, certainly one of the deciding factors, or no, not one of the deciding factor. It's going to be how well does this sell? If this sells for crap, then they're not going to be interested in doing more. If it sells gangbusters, then they might very well be interested in doing more. So it's really not up to me. It's up to the fans. Do you happen to know if there's going to be like uh, a paper book version of this story released sometime in the future? Uh, if the sales strong enough, they will do a uh, they will do a uh, uh, a print one. Yes. If you could could kind of take these characters in, in any direction next. Um, have any idea where you might want them to go? Yes, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> well, I had to try. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Peter, um, I really am so glad that um, you came on the show to talk about the returns into the New Frontier series. Um, no and problem. we always like to, at the end of the, the interview, to make sure that the author can tell everybody um, where to find them online, but also okay. if there's uh, anything out there that um, you know fans of yours should be looking for that's uh, out there right now or coming up from you soon. Well, first off, you can find me at peterdavid.com and peterdavid.net, which is essentially the same website. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, peterdavid underscore pad, and I'm on Facebook. So, you know, I'm pretty much out there. 
Um, and I hope that everybody will read my stuff and uh, buy New Frontier. And if you want to read something completely different, go read Artful, which is a book I wrote that is a sequel to Oliver Twist, hmm. focusing on the Artful Dodger, oh, yes. who's always the more interesting character anyway. And, yes. um, you know, I hope that people... And also coming out in November, I have written a graphic novel biography of Stan Lee. Oh, very oh, cool. Awesome. That yeah, is it, awesome. It, it, I co-wrote it with Stan, and it's illustrated by Colleen Duran. So mm. definitely go buy it. Well, I do have to say, you know, um, I'm excited to read your book, Artful, because I read huh. Tiger Heart. And I really, really enjoyed Tiger Heart. Um, and if people haven't tried that by you, I, I definitely encourage you to, especially if you enjoy the Peter Pan mythos. It's, and it's there's excellent. a sequel to Tiger Heart called Fearless that I co-wrote with my, at the time, eight-year-old daughter. Oh. So you'll probably want to pick that up, too. I am going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for coming Happy on the show, it. and you are welcome back anytime. Awesome. Thank okay, you very much, good. Peter. It was a real thrill to thank talk you to you. Dan, that was a lot of fun to have Peter on the show finally, uh, to get to talk a little bit about New Frontier, The Returns, and, and then, of course, uh, talk a little bit about just the kind of creation of New Frontier. And it's always interesting to hear, you know, what the author has to say about their own, you know, creative works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really kind of one of the legends of Star Trek writing over the past few decades, really. Uh, I kind of almost feel like Captain Harriman, you know, we had a had a living legend talking to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. So I, I hope uh, everybody enjoyed that one. And, and um, you know, uh, the Return series and the New Frontier, it, it really is so different than what we think of as, you know, kind of Trek in the 24th century. And it is interesting, the idea that, um, the New Frontier is more like basically the 23rd century in the 24th century. Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, I actually remember, you know, some of the early novels, uh, you know, something along the lines of, you know, are you reading these field reports by Calhoun? This is ridiculous. And somebody would say, well, I mean, you know, Kirk met Apollo and fought a giant amoeba. And basically, Admiral turning to him and saying, you really believe those stories? I mean, come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. So, oh, yeah, gosh. no, there definitely is precedent there. Yeah, sure. so true. Well, uh, it was so much fun getting to talk to, to Peter David today, and I'm really glad we got the chance to do that. And don't forget, um, you can check out all of our shows at iTunes.com slash TrekFM for literary tracks and, of course, all the different shows for the Trek FM network. Um, if you are an Apple user while you're there on iTunes, uh, help us out. We would love to have some star ratings and reviews from you, hear what you think about the show. And then, of course, hitting that subscribe button does us wonders and helps us keep us in that what's hot section there. And uh, that means just more people are listening to Literary Treks. If you're not the Apple user, though, we do have you covered as well. You can find the shows everywhere. Uh, we're talking Stitcher and TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. Uh, you can download and stream the MP3 file from the website if you want. And, of course, you can even just grab the RSS link and pop that into any podcatcher. So uh, no worries. Uh, we've got you covered in every single way. You don't have to be without your Trek FM podcast anytime. Um, another way that you can help us out, and this is really important, uh, keeping the shows coming to each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. Um, 
you know, you'd want to go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see all the goals that we have we're trying to reach as a network. Um, it does cost us quite a bit, actually, to get all this out to you each week and the storage space that we need just online and then even natively at home to keep all the files that we have and then of course everything else that goes into it we love doing this we have such a passion for bringing this material to you and we just hope you'll want to join the team we have so many great perks coming these days and even just think about the patreon roundtable that will win does uh is just fantastic and so um, really excited to have you join the team. Just go to patreon.com slash trekfm and we hope you'll join the team today. Well, Dan, I'm really excited to say that we have a brand new associate producer here on Literary Treks, and that's Brandon Shea Matula. And I'm really excited that he's joined us. I really appreciate his support along with uh, Will Wynn. Really appreciate him being with the show so long, as well as Ken Tripp. All of these guys help bring this show to everyone through Patreon.com. And of course, without their support, we wouldn't be here each week. So these guys, we give you a high five. Thank you so much. Um, here, and here. then, of course, uh, we want to mention the Goodreads group. And this is something that is only for literary treks and you can check it out at goodreads.com we have our literary treks literary group you can see all the bookshelves we have of all the things that we covered here on literary treks we've got discussions going on there and then we also have the upcoming reading section so you know what's coming up in the coming weeks for literary treks so you can be in the know you can read the book and you can be able to enjoy the shows that way so if you'd like to check that out you can go to goodreads and look for literary treks in the group section or of course you can also just go to any of the show pages for literary treks and you can click the link there as well well dan uh when you're not uh gallivanting around the galaxy as uh, q's new prodigy where can we find you well, Matthew, I, I got to tell you, you know, that takes a few millennia, but, uh, you know, then we just snap back to where we started. And it's no yeah, it's kind of like being a time lord. Yeah, totally. Um, well, Matthew, you can uh, find me online, my website, www.treklit.com, where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Treklit Reviews, and my personal Twitter account, at Kertrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Uh, I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekletreviews, and uh, you can find me kicking around the Babel, Babel Conference, uh, talking about all things Star Trek there. And Matthew, when you're not in some sort of weird Q-invented maze fighting a slightly familiar-looking Minotaur, uh, where can we find you? Oh man, that Minotaur is a menace, uh, but you can find me when I'm not doing that on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram at and rushing. You can find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, talking exclusively about Deep Space Nine. That's our Deep Space Nine dedicated show here on the network. Uh, you can also find me doing The 602 Club, as I talked about earlier. We have a great new geeky topic each week that doesn't have anything to do with Star Trek. We've got new things, we've got old things, favorites, fun things, things you may never thought of to try yet. Check the show out and uh, see how we might inspire you to find something new or just enjoy talking about something you love. And then I do have my own blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com where I do book reviews and movie reviews and things like that, so check that out. Really appreciate you joining us, and until next time, Live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.